everyone, is it just me or is this the best food that we have ever had? Mm. Nothing like the taste of death to clear the palate. Mm. I suppose there isn't a thing here that I couldn't live on for a cycle. Except, except maybe this. Mm. Now, uh. now, I was assuming that because of the lack of taste in that, that it was a garnish. <laughs> That's a scene from the TV series Farscape, in which the crew of a spaceship is sharing a meal and sharing a few laughs as well. In a new science fiction novel called You Sexy Thing, Cat Rambo blends the best of Farscape and the great British baking show. Cat even gives the story's biomechanical spaceship a personality that evolves over the course of the book. And this is just the beginning of what's envisioned as a series of 10 novels. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, one of your hosts for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. Join me and my co-host, science fiction writer Dominica Fetaplace, as we talk with Cat Rambo about deep space dining, spaceships with an attitude, and what it takes to launch a space opera. In real life, space food is not exactly gourmet cuisine, but in science fiction there's a long tradition of fine dining in outer space, going back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the restaurant at the end of the universe. Award-winning science fiction and fantasy writer Cat Rambo continues that tradition in You Sexy Thing. Cat's characters are a motley crew of former space commandos who open a restaurant for what they assumed would be their quiet retirement. But just like Michael Corleone in The Godfather, they keep getting pulled back in. During a Zoom chat with Domenica Fetaplace and me, Kat talked about the novel and where the story might be going next. We also talked about the honest-to-goodness cookbook, published by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, the process that Kat went through to give a personality to the story's fictional spaceship, and the way Kat handled alien sex scenes. We started off the conversation by asking Kat about the genesis of You Sexy Thing. I decided I wanted to write the kind of book that I wanted to read, and uh, my friend Ann Leckie had recently told me she was interested in seeing a space opera in omniscient point of view. So with those two mandates, I sat down and started writing and found I was watching two people argue over an eggplant. And then it just kind of went from there. You Sexy Thing is described as a cross between Farscape and the Great British Bake Off. And that seems like an odd pairing, so to speak. How did you balance the Farscape ingredients with the baking show ingredients? Well, so I love Farscape. I I, I will confess there is so much Farscape influence in the book because I just adore it. I also am a huge foodie. And so when I was trying to figure out what did my mercenaries uh, do post-mercenary life, and I was like, they're setting up a restaurant. And I think that's where the Great British Bake Off uh, comparisons came from. And I've actually, I've tried to continue that. I just turned in the next book, which has a alien cuisine uh, pop-up restaurant. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I'm not even sure how I balanced it. Uh, it. They just sort of mingled naturally somehow. Have you thought of 
maybe providing some of the recipes that were described in the book? I have, and I have actually been working recently <laughs> with uh, Jello experiments. Uh, I've discovered Jello art, <laughs> so I've been making all these kind of very sparkly gelatin desserts uh, lately. But we can only eat so much Jello at given week, so uh, there's a certain pace to that. But yeah, totally making the uh, recipes. Some of them. Yum. Um, there's a certain point in the book where the characters turn to these really delicious sounding cookies for comfort. I would be very interested uh, in those recipes. Do you have a favorite recipe in this, you know, favorite like dish that you describe in this book? I really love Baba Ganu. And so that is celebrated deeply in the, in this, this book. It's that favorite uh, dish that they're preparing for the restaurant critic. And how did you come up with uh, stuff that might be a little more alien? I was lucky in that I had Sean and McGuire had come and taught a class for me on writing, uh, convincing crypto creatures and aliens. And so I, I started there and she had talked about going in and looking at uh, kind of the weirdest terrestrial creatures one of which is the Portuguese man-o-war jellyfish, which is actually two creatures combined. And so Skidoo, uh, the, one of the aliens, is actually two creatures combined. And that becomes uh, important in a later book. Ooh. So, yeah, I just I had fun with it. Right. It just how could you not have fun with sort of tentacles everywhere? Yeah. And you also uh, co-edited a civil cookbook called Ad Astra. Did your experience working on that book come in handy here? Um, the main thing that editing the Sifwa cookbook, which I did with Fran Wilde, taught me is that I never want to edit a cookbook again, or at least any kind of group project with 231 authors. <laughs> um, I don't know that any of the recipes uh, particularly popped up to influence you sexy thing, but doing that cookbook was so much fun because we were following in the footsteps of Anne McCaffrey, who had done two previous CIFWA cookbooks. And Astrid Baer, actually, when Greg Baer was president of CIFWA, they had tried to do a third. And Astra very generously uh, sent me all of those recipes. And so that's how I was able to get, uh, for example, I think it was like Spider Robinson's and I contacted him and was like, can we use this recipe you submitted like 20 years ago? He's like, okay. So. Are there any elements from real life space travel, astronomy or technology that you tried to work into your novel or did you go with a completely clean slate? That's a really interesting question because the first book has very little science in it. But in between the first book and writing the second book, I went to the Launchpad Astrophysics Workshop uh, at the, in Wyoming with Mike Brotherton. And I was so glad to go there because I think I sort of backjiggered all of the science based on things that I learned there. So I now know much more about the gates than appears in the first book. Uh, so I kind of cheated there. The first one is just a kind of like, oh, we need faster than light travel, ah, hand wave them, uh, which is why it's called Q space in tribute to Star Trek's Q. So tell me about what we're going to find out about the gates. Is there something that, uh, are they going to be wormholes? 
Well, in the history of the known universe, they have not malfunctioned very often. And the next book starts with one of them malfunctioning and someone showing up who may or may not be on the up and up offering to fix it. Uh, so that part of the science and every, every gate, actually there's one in every galaxy and it's powered by a, the black hole that's at the heart of every galaxy. And so one of the things that was really fun about uh, Launchpad is kind of figuring out there's, there's one kind of space travel that takes care of galaxy to galaxy but then when you're within a galaxy, it is still huge and vast, and you have to compensate for that as well. So that's that's much more in the second book. Okay, I'm looking forward to more supermassive black holes, so bring them on. Yeah. Um, now, You Sexy Thing, the title is actually the name of a sentient starship that's a major character in the book. What was it like writing that character? Did you have a particular personality or real-life analog in mind as a guide, someone like Siri? I actually had my cat, Raven, in mind because I had often thought about, like, what would he be like if he became sentient? And I, I, I have a story where he gets a, a voice and it just repeats his name over and over again. Uh, you sexy thing is sort of a cross between Raven and a cousin of mine who is not the swiftest person in the world, but is very good hearted uh, and, and is kind of like, oh, what is this like? And I, I just love that sort of wide eyed, uh, everything is wonderful and new attitude. And so I wanted to convey that in the ship as well. I know that uh, Ian M. Banks' culture series also featured sentient starships with fanciful names. Were you inspired by Banks' characters, or did you take pains to go down a different path? Um, not in terms of the characters, right? I, I don't think I was influenced there. But certainly, I love, I love the names in the Ian Banks uh, spaceships, because they're just amazing. And I did want to get a little bit of that flavor. Um, and You Sexy Thing was the working title for a long time. And then uh, when I sold it to Tor, Tor was like, well, we don't know about this title. And I was like, oh, okay. And so they would send me lists of possible titles and I didn't like any of them. So I then would send back my suggestions, which were things like ancillary restaurant. And <laughs> And they'd be like, Kat, you're not taking this seriously. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I wonder some of the bad make... titles that <laughs> stick out to you from that title list. But I'm like, I'm dying to know over here. <laughs> Otherwise, like the pop-up diner at the end of the universe was one of them. They're just a whole bunch. Uh, because there's so many wonderful science fiction titles that you can play on. And the problem with me is you offer me a word game and I'll just be like, yes, I'll play this with all my enthusiasm. I suspect that you didn't suggest anything that was really super good. And so that they no. would have to stick with your, you sexy thing. And it yeah. worked because they finally were like, yeah, marketing. They said, marketing has said, we're going to lean into it. And I'm still not sure what lean into it means, but okay. Speaking of leaning into sexy things, there are intimations of interspecies sex in your book. Even the starship experiences some feelings of passion. Please tell us about how you dealt with that subject. Well, 
I mean, I tried to, to, I didn't want to write space erotica or anything like that, but I do, I do think that uh, people make a lot of connections uh, through, through that. And so I wanted to have that aspect of things. And, you know, one of the things about science fiction is that it's so much about the age that we're living in. And I feel like right now, we have come so far and so kind of interestingly in terms of figuring out stuff about people's gender and the fact that uh, people could be gender fluid or, uh, you know, all asexual or aromantic, right? All of that is important to acknowledge. And so in some ways, that's what I'm trying to explore uh, with the crew. Speaking of, I wanted to ask you about world building because there's a lot of interesting uh, exploration of, of all types of interspecies relationships, romantic, friendship, rivalry. There are these complicated uh, political systems. There's uh, this economy and there's like multiple religions. So how did you go about uh, building this known universe? Well, I'm going to confess that I pantsed my way entirely into this book. And so I kept frantic notes. Um, I had a little desktop wiki that I tried to track everything in. But even so, uh, stuff kind of shifted around. And so it was really interesting going into the second book and being like, oh, all of this is established already. I don't have to kind of make up as much stuff. Although more stuff does get made up. Yeah, I, it just, it really was pantsing. And I, I can't claim to have done any detailed world building other than a lot of kind of, I'm going to go for a long walk and I'm going to daydream about what this scene is like. Yeah, well, it definitely works. And we've already mentioned Ian Banks, Anne Leckie, Farscape, Star Trek. Is there anything else that influenced this world? Oh, absolutely. Uh, C.J. Cherry, uh, whose space operas I love. And I just, I, I go back to reread some of her series over and over again. Um, Louise McMaster Bujold is another uh, space opera writer that has influenced me uh, tremendously. I, I think... There's just so many wonderful writers that I tried to uh, celebrate. Uh, there's like, I forget what it is that the M Schwills is a, a measurement uh, in the book. And that of course is a tribute to Carol M Schwiller, who was one of the best. Oh, and people. I think there's like a Le Guin as a unit of membership. Got <laughs> <laughs> <Not> that. <laughs> Um, you're also very well known as a prolific writer of short fiction. I'm curious, what's the difference in your approach uh, when you're creating a shorter work versus a longer work? Well, for me, there's two kinds of short stories. Uh, and one is one that sort of comes complete. And I've got a good sense of it. And the, the reason I love writing those is I can sit down and write them and say, okay, I've finished this as opposed to, you know, like working on a novel where you're like, oh, only 62,000 more words to go. Uh, but the other stories that I write are ones that slowly accrete over time. And I had two stories this year that kind of fell into that category. Uh, Crazy Beautiful, which was in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction is kind of this bricolage technique where there's a lot of different voices. And then, uh, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, I have uh, every breath a question, every heartbeat an answer. And that was also a story, and it's told in, the, in the kind of two strands weaving together. Uh, my novels are much more likely to accrete than to be written directly. Uh, and so that's what's interesting to me about You Sexy Thing, is it was much more written like a short story, where it's kind of like, okay, I start at the beginning, and I write chronologically, and oh my god, now I'm at the end. 
as opposed to like the Tabat books, which is kind of like, oh, I'll write this scene and then I'll write this scene. And then I, you know, in the editing, it's just like, oh my God, how do I make all of this stuff fit together? Uh, It's weird. It was a totally different experience. You have a Patreon platform as well as an online writing school. Uh, Tell us about that and how you juggle all this. Well, the Patreon and the online school became super important to me uh, during the pandemic because they were ha- it was how I was maintaining ties with people. And that was when I started doing uh, daily co-working sessions uh, with my peeps, which is how I, I stay, stayed productive and still stay productive. Uh, and so I've tied the Patreon into my school. So if you're at a certain level, you get discounts on classes or maybe even free classes. Uh, but the thing the thing that really sort of uh, ties both of them together is the Discord server, which has become a really lively, supportive, wonderful community that I constantly am checking in with, where I, I, we have a, like a short story discussion group. And uh, in fact, today, later on today, we've got a clean in chat where we basically all log in for an hour and just hang out. Neither we clean our virtual space or clean our literal space or just talk. Uh, it's just really nice. So uh, this book is dedicated to a bookstore in South Bend, Indiana. Would you tell us a little more about that? That bookstore is the bookstore that I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons in. Uh, I first found it, I think, when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Uh, it's the Griffin Bookstore in South Bend, Indiana, which was run by two wonderful people, Ken uh, Pechkovsky and Sarah Bird. And uh, I, I'm very sad. Sarah died, actually, uh, just a couple of years ago. And I, I really am just heartbroken that she didn't get a chance to see my first uh, big book. They were so important to me growing up. And they were so important to so many geeky kids. I went back a few years ago for their 40th anniversary of the Griffin, of the, of the game store. And I ran into so many people who said, oh, that was my refuge in high school. I don't know if I would have made it through high school. It was just, it was where all the smart geeky kids could come and be themselves. It's a wonderful place and still around. If you're in Indiana, you should go spend lots of money there. Have you read anything good lately? Are you watching anything interesting or listening to anything cool? I just started a reread of the first uh, eight books of The Expanse because they (laughs) offered to send me the ninth book. And I'm like, oh, I need to go back all the way. So I'm just working my way through the first one. I I think I'm halfway through as of last night. And I recently read Seth Dickinson's uh, The Traitor Baru Cormorant, if I'm, I'm saying it correctly, that trilogy, which I just loved. That was amazing. I really appreciate your spending time with us and, and talking about You Sexy Thing. And have you come up with a title for the sequel? It's Devil's Gun. And they have not approved that yet. And I don't know if they have realized yet that I am naming all the books after disco songs. But my plan is to see, like, if they let Devil's Gun slide through, right? And then the third book, I'll be like, well, the, the first two are disco songs. So we'll see how well that works. We'll see if that title sticks or not. How many books are you uh, envisioning in this series? I actually have 10 planned out because wow. I, I want 
I have this long running smoldering love triangle that is going to run through the books. And by book 10, I want people deeply invested in the outcome because I, I love that. Right. I love long series and you get to the last book and you're just like, Oh God, that's perfect. So that's what I would like to do. Wow. I guess we'll look forward to uh, riding with this starship for a long, long time. So uh, thank you so much, Kat. Best of luck with this book and with Devil's Run and the other books to follow. Thank you. It's been amazing. Awesome. For more about Cat Rambo and You Sexy Thing, including information about the dozens of other literary works Cat has written, check out my blog item on Cosmic Log. A free launch event for You Sexy Thing will be presented online by University Bookstore in Seattle on November 16th. Follow the links from Cosmic Log to sign up. While you're online, check out dominicafedaplace.com. You can read one of Dominica's short stories in the upcoming 2022 edition of the Pushcart Prize Anthology. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science Podcast and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.